Hey, welcome back to the Christopher Governor Show. Welcome back. It's Trista for Governor. And we're in the house with Colonel Spazzy and Buttercup, as in Secretary Buttercup, and Big Red, also known as Il Trompo. Il Trompolini. Maldito, malito trompolini. And today we're going to watch, or you're going to listen to. Hey. If you want to see El Trompo himself, I made video, TikTok videos about El Trompo, and I have the chicken who looks like New Gingrich as well. Gingrich. Jingy Rich. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna listen to. I'm gonna watch a, a biography of CCR Credence Clearwater Revival. It says here it's a tragedy. So let's check it out. Hope it's not that much of a tragedy. Left a good job in city. Okay. <clears throat> Come on, just to get it together. Oh, band's surge to the top was marred by infighting and lawsuits. In just three years, Creedence Clearwater Revival, led by singer John Fogarty, released a slew of memorable rock and roll hits. Behind the scenes... This is on Grunge YouTube channel. However, the band's surge to the top was marred by infighting and lawsuits. This is the tragic real-life story of CCR. Creedence Clearwater Revival's famous anti-war tune, Fortunate Son, is sung from the perspective of a less privileged youth who cannot afford to evade the U.S. draft. The song has become synonymous with the era to the point of parody. Songwriter John Fogarty and drummer Doug Clifford, who formed a high school band called The Blue Velvet, along with John's brother Tom and bassist Stu Cook, lived this reality when John and Doug were drafted. Fogarty knew that his draft number was coming up, so he immediately signed on to the U.S. Army Reserves, where he worked as a supply clerk. While only on active duty for six months, Fogarty traveled to Fort Bragg in North Carolina, underwent advanced individual training at the Quartermaster School in Fort Lee, Virginia, and between those periods was stationed at Fort Knox. Despite living among fellow soldiers, Fogarty told the Military Times that the Vietnam War was still unpopular with his fellow countrymen. Fogarty told the outlet, The war was very unpopular, even with us in the military. We weren't in love with that war. Nobody really wanted to go fight in the jungle. Fogarty's time in the military gave him the perspective that eventually led him to write many of his famous songs over the rest of the decade. By 1968, as the war was still raging on, Fogarty's and Clifford's stints in the army had concluded. By the time Creedence Clearwater Revival performed at Woodstock in the summer of 1969, the band was at their zenith, having just released their third album, the critically acclaimed Green River, two weeks prior. CCR came into Woodstock as arguably the top act. This is what kind of, this is what's a bummer, is that their performance at Woodstock um, wasn't... He, he didn't want to release it. He didn't think they played that well, and they, he thought that everyone was just asleep, which is, uh, you know, garbage. It's garbage. He's acting like a prima donna about it. Hey, uh, if you're, if you, I think he's still alive, Mr. Fogarty, please uh, 
get the uh you know wild hair up your arse about this your woodstock performance and release it for like the estate of john fogarty uh please you know because it's a piece of history it's a very important piece of history and uh, anti-war history about the hippies which is a good thing about the hippies john fogarty had this to say about walking onto the stage that night by the time we got to Woodstock, I felt we were the number one band. Assuming Kinda that the Beatles sounding. were God, I thought that we were the next thing under them. However, as reported by the Chicago Tribune, Fogarty was so disappointed in CCR's performance that he refused to allow their music to be part of the documentary and live album released the next year. The band's performance, because of technical difficulties and weather delays, was pushed past Fine. midnight on Sunday, August 17th. Yeah, so what? As CCR performed to the 500,000 strong people audience, there. Bogarty said the concert goers were, quote, all intertwined in, in a sleep covered, covered with, with mud. mud. So what? In yeah, they were there to hear you LA play, Times, man. Bogarty looked you back on the festival and enough. partially good blamed their performance on the Grateful Dead playing too long before. Well, we were promised a prime time on a Saturday night, like 9 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, what they didn't tell me is, you're going to follow the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Live for Live Music says rain badly damaged the Dead's equipment, and the band only played five songs during their hour and a half set. Yeah, this year. Get this your extremely high tech $5,000 drone for a fraction of the price. I think he's this powerful drone is now available in the U.S. You need to be a little more grateful that you were you know, a messenger, basically, of the gods, that you are a messenger of the gods, Mr. Fogarty. So, uh, release it. Release it. Let us see this anti-war masterpiece. Whether it was the Beatles Before you and kick the, the bucket, let us, let us, let it be part of, let it be. 1960s, Fleetwood Mac in the 1970s, Guns N' Roses in the 1980s, Bands tend to hit snags once they've reached the top of the mountain. Creedence Clearwater Revival is only unique in this perspective in terms of how much contempt bandmates felt for each other, or to be honest, toward their leader, John Fogarty. Following the release of their debut album and the success of the single Suzy Q, the band entered like their um, first Hollywood Diva. studio to work on Proud Mary. Fogarty told Sweden's Pop Magazine that during cats. the session, the three other members became interested in having more of a say in the band's songwriting and recording process. Fogarty, who, aside from rehearsals and live recordings, worked alone on the band's music, sat down at dinner with the band and plainly told them that his direction could keep them from returning to washing cars. Despite being the youngest member of CCR Probably and the youngest sibling to bandmate Tom Fogarty, John was in charge. And under his strong and uncompromising leadership, the band was the hottest group in America between 1969 and 1971. This is during the time the I was born. was regular at summer festivals and on the pop charts. However, they were also a ticking time bomb, with yeah, Tom by the threatening way, multiple times. By the way, y'all you're, you're, you're are stupid not to uh, re-release it with the Woodstock and, and uh, you know, as a movie, you know, let them, let it get out there and that'll actually uh, be it'll be a revival a ccr revival in fact that should be that your next album called revival it's a great word i like that words times to leave because of john 
Despite overthrowing the Beatles by 1969 as the highest-selling band in the world, Creedence Clearwater Revival could not sustain itself. John Fogarty was described as an autocrat by Uncut, and even admitted later in life that he held, quote, maniacal control <laughs> over the band. Per the VH1 documentary yeah, Legends, John man. Fogarty and Creedence Clearwater Revival, the group had reached a boiling point by 1970. Doug Clifford had this to say. Things were getting very difficult in the business arena. It was taking a toll on John. It was taking a toll on us because we weren't involved in these meetings and we weren't getting information back wow. from John. Okay. A meeting was called right on the eve of recording. Okay, stop. Okay, Mr. Fogarty. Um, you gotta be, you gotta share these, you, with the band mates, how can you, how can you not, uh, it, it's, I know you, you do so much, but I hope your contracts reflect, at least like give them, um, um, I would say a fifth of the profits, the royalties of the of the royalties. That's what I would do. The three of them, I would take, say like, take your sixty percent. I mean, you were the dominant genius in that in that group. So take sixty percent and give them forty percent to to. I'm sure it's uh, you know, if you do it wisely with good lawyers. <clears throat> that uh, you know that's the fair thing to, to do I mean like how about no nobody needs that much money in, in life I think we go through do we go through a million dollars in our lives or two million two million we spend two million recording their seventh album and the three other members of CCR demanded more say in the band rising pressure within the band his failing marriage to his wife Martha and the desire to remain on top of the music scene eventually led John to concede to their demands. As much as we hated each other, it all came back like we liked each other more than anybody else. Soon after the meeting that was supposed to ease the tension between John and the rest of the members of Creedence Clearwater kind of Revival, first she fell. Tom announced he was leaving CCR in January 1971. In an interview with Uncut, drummer Doug Clifford Tom's closest ally in the band, said of the anger between the two brothers, Tom had put up with a lot of stuff from John. He didn't want Tom to succeed. Tom tried to downplay his accent, saying it wasn't planned, that there was no bad blood, and that he needed to develop his own talent. Doug and Stu now had more power in CCR with fewer members and John loosening the reins. Still, Tom left the biggest band in the world at their peak. With Tom gone and the quartet down to a power trio, it was time for Creedence Clearwater Revival to return to the studio and bump out another classic album, 1972's Mardi Gras. That was the plan, at least. With the continued tension and anger in the band toward leader John Fogarty, the three split the songwriting and singing responsibilities between them, and CCR's seventh studio album became their final and most disappointing. Rolling Stone's John Landau even called Mardi Gras the worst album released by a major rock group. However, the album was boosted to number 12 on the Billboard album chart thanks to the John Fogarty-penned tune Sweet Hitchhiker. John only wrote three songs for the album, though, and sang a cover of Ricky Nelson's what? Hello, Mary Lou. Stu Cook and Doug Clifford took the new freedom Fogarty gave them and penned and sang their own songs. 
the album failed to generate the same critical and commercial success as CCR's previous efforts. Songs by both Stu Cook and John Fogarty seem to describe their strained relationship and the band's inevitable demise, such as Take It Like a Friend by Cook and Looking for a Reason by Fogarty. According to the Daily Review, Fogarty told John Landau that he allowed the members to sing their songs to illustrate how much better he was by comparison. <laughs> egotistical man all right so here's a quick quiz which one of the following foods is absolutely Artiste, killing your testosterone amen. levels eggs sure. flax seeds milk bananas asparagus unsurprisingly mardi gras was the last straw for credence clearwater revival and the group dissolved shortly after however this wasn't the end of conflicts between ccr and john fogarty fogarty fought everyone connected to ccr's music and in the years after the band's breakup, that included the label that owned the songs he wrote and sang. For hmm. decades, Fogarty refused to perform his old oh. CCR songs, blaming the bad deal he made with Fantasy Records in his early days for his boycott. Per the deal, Fantasy had the exclusive publishing rights to Fogarty's music. Fogarty and Fantasy Records head Saul Zenz grew to hate each other during and after CCR. When the group broke up in 1972, Saul refused to let John out of his contract something he did for the other members until he fulfilled the agreement. As a result, Fogarty refused... Um, here's, here's an idea. Why not uh, just re-records? Her songs. ...to work with Zenz. When Zenz sold off his interest in fantasy records, Fogarty returned to the label, released the album Revival in 2007, and became more comfortable performing his old songs again. CCR. Tom and John Fogarty's story, unfortunately, does not have a happy ending. After leaving Creedence Clearwater Revival, Tom firmly put himself in song. We're back with the Christopher Governor show. Welcome back. Bienvenidos. Bienvenuto. Bienvenuto. Um, Bienvenue. And we are listening to a... Credence Clearwater Revival documentary. Hello, let's go. Let's go. John's legal battles against Saul and Fantasy Records. John said he attempted to mend fences with his brother for the sake of their mother. The pair talked on the phone and agreed to write down the grievances they had with each other so they could work them out. However, after John accused his brother of suing him and Tom denied it, the pair split again. Tom had filed suit against John in 1978, though Tom dropped the suit five years later. Tragically, in the 1980s, Tom went to the hospital for back surgery. He received a blood transfusion and became infected with the HIV virus from tainted blood. I Love Classic Rock reports that the pair never reconciled before Tom's death, leaving John to move forward regretting his fallout with his brother. John had this to say about forgiving his brother. At some point, I made a point to myself of forgiving my brother. I just felt like I had to do that because he wasn't around for me to get to work it out with him. This indestructible $99 drone is now available in the US. This powerful $99 drone is now available in the US. This is an extremely high-tech $5,000 drone. It was developed so that Navy SEALs like could do bee. stealth missions, Saw one of those in my kitchen this morning. Mind you on beeswax. Hashtag cease and desist. Kevin at DHS in particular. Go fuck yourself, by the way. 
if you're one of my government sensors or one of my sensors are attempted hack. The only positive aspect of Creedence Clearwater Revival's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was that it didn't turn into a riot. Aside from that, the ceremony was racked with bitter emotions between the three surviving members. Following the presentation given by Bruce Springsteen and speeches from the three living members, a reunion performance was expected. But John Fogarty refused to share the stage with Stu Cook and Doug Clifford and instead gave a performance with a band of other rock musicians, <laughs> leaving two wow. CCR members to watch others play their songs. <laughs> the reason for the snub was Fogarty's wow. bitterness over wow. the... Wow. That is pretty petty. ...continued lawsuits against him by fantasy, which the two surviving members had a role in. In his autobiography, Fogarty wrote about the bad blood between himself and Clifford that led to the difficult induction ceremony. In 1985, Fogarty released a song called The Old Man Down the Road. Saul Zenz ultimately sued Fogarty over the song because it sounded too similar to the CCR tune Run Through the Jungle, which was also written by Fogarty. I've written a new song and they want to contend that the new song plagiarizes their song. Writing in his autobiography, Fogarty revealed that his lawyers had asked Saul Zenz why he sued John for the old man down the road, and Zenz told him that Clifford had played the song in his office and pushed the record executive to sue. Fogarty felt betrayed, and after learning of CCR's induction, he originally didn't even want to stand next to his former bandmates. While a true Credence Clearwater Revival reunion is impossible without Tom Fogarty, there have still been rumors and hopes that the three surviving members will put aside their differences and perform under the CCR name. This has largely been wishful thinking, as the band remains Can't extremely angry. In 1995, wrong. following the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame snub, Doug Clifford and Stu Cook began touring as Creedence Clearwater revisited. The group announced their retirement following their 2019 tour which irked John Fogarty, as the announcement came right at the beginning of his residency in Las Vegas. Fogarty had sued the duo in the past, challenging the use of a similar name to the original band and forcing them to change it until an appellate court ruled in their favor. In 2014, the two members and the estate of Tom Fogarty sued John for trademark infringement over a series of album-length performance concerts. Fogarty countersued. So, while it seems that CCR's days of performing are long over, their short time in the courts, spotlight left gentlemen. the world a collection of classic rock anthems and an even bigger collection of messy lawsuits and broken relationships. Check out one of our newest videos right here. Plus, even more grunge videos about your favorite stuff are coming classic soon. Subscribe anthems. to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one. That's what I um, miss right there. Lola, we just played Lola. Okay, so that was a uh, that was one documentary. Um, the Curse of Led Zeppelin. That's, that's, uh, that sounds interesting. By Mr. Mythos. Mythos. The anesthesiologist was like, "Looks like residency did a number on you." Jimmy Page. Music the erudite and softly spoken lead guitarist of Led Zeppelin lead guitarist of Led Zeppelin once told a journalist I do not worship the devil but magic does intrigue me magic of all kinds mm -hmm. it wasn't for some years until I understood what it was all about page 
a native to Hounslow, West London, shook the world of rock and roll unlike any other star before him. Broodingly handsome, witty, and with a quirky and exotic taste, Page was a peacock among pheasants. His circle was the most eccentric of the age of Aquarius. Finger-snapping, hash-smoking, LSD-dropping dandies. Page's circle, however, had a darker side, a side entrenched in mystical Eastern esotericism and ancient magic, the occult. Jimmy Page's peacocking connected him with many of the legends of rock and roll, from Eric Clapton to the Rolling Stones, both of whom he regularly jammed with as a session guitarist. Page eventually founded Led Zeppelin, the experimental evolution of his former band, the New Yardbirds. Zeppelin, in his own words, came together like magic. First, he found John Paul Jones, the bass guitarist, then Robert Plant, the lead singer, and finally John Bonham, the drummer. An unholy quaternity, reflected by their personal symbols, four sigils. Admittedly, this was an unusual choice of logo for a band. At the time, sigils were little known outside of esoteric circles. A sigil is a symbol used in magic, often the pictorial signature of a demon or other spirit, today most frequently employed in chaos magic. They can be used for blessings, just as they could be used for curses. It's speculated that Page's foray into the occult may have had devastating consequences for him and for his bandmates. Over a curious lot of time, bad luck, accidents, sickness, and eventually several deaths would plague the band members and those close to them. This is known as the Curse of Led Zeppelin. For this investigation, we'll take a closer look at the historical facts surrounding these events. And with all due respect for the victims involved, explore the detailed speculations of longtime Zeppelin fans as well as occult researchers. Some say that Jimmy Page sold his soul, the soul of Robert Plant, and the soul of John Bonham to the devil. To understand the curse of Led Zeppelin in its full mystery, we must go back long before the era of rock and roll rewinding nearly six centuries to the infamous alchemist, Johann Georg Faust. Welcome to Occult Mysteries. A pact with the devil, also known as a Faustian bargain, is a literary trope as old as time itself. Christian tradition tells that a contract with the devil is a transaction between Satan and a person. Satan delivers worldly goods which the person exchanges for their soul. History abounds with tales of famed public figures said to have made pacts with the devil. The most famous of these tales is of Johann Georg Faust. The story of Faust begins with a dissatisfied scholar who has exhausted all means of human study in exchange for infinite knowledge and a boundless hedonistic lifestyle. He trades his soul. The story opens with Faust alone in his study, preparing a ritual to conjure a spirit. Therefore myself to magic I give, he says. When the devil, Mephistopheles, is summoned and agrees to serve Faust, the scholar implores, How must I thy services repay? To which Mephistopheles responds, 
undersinest merely with a drop of blood, which means, in no uncertain terms, with his soul. Faust accepts. Alas, the deal ends in tragedy. The story is said to have been based upon the real-life German alchemist Johann Georg Faust, who supposedly died in the laboratory explosion after the devil came to collect his soul personally. Hmm. The devil, or Lucifer, which in Latin means the morning star, was created as the anointed cherub, the most powerful of God's angels. According to the book of Ezekiel, Lucifer... Hello, 